Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. For the joy, most days over the past 12 years of serving alongside you, been some fun ones. I told Pastor John after the first service that I often wonder what would have happened. I almost missed that meeting, and uh, life would be a lot different. And so, uh, grateful that I made it, and uh, thankful to be here. But if you have your Bibles, flip over to Colossians chapter three, and I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Did you ever have your parents tell you something, whatever it was, and then they would end it with the phrase, "One day when you're older, you'll understand." Did anybody ever have that happen? I can think of a couple of things that my parents told me. They said, uh, Tyson, one day when you get older, time seems to just go faster and faster and faster every year. And I thought they were losing it then. And then as the older I get, it really does seem to go faster and faster and faster. And the other one that stood out to me is I got a lot of spankings as a kid. And um, there was a day that I graduated from my mom spanking me to my dad spanking me because I told her it didn't hurt. And so <laughs> when my dad came home, it definitely did. And I remember him saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and one day you'll understand. And I just remember thinking, there is no way that hurt you less or more than it hurt me. And then a couple years ago, I was uh, disciplining my youngest daughter, and sure enough, it did. And uh, it did hurt me more than it hurt her. And uh, so there's some of those things that you just can't process until you get the chance to experience. I think the text that we're going to look at today is a lot like that. When you first look at the text that we're going to read through today, you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, It's actually one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages, I believe, in all of the New Testament. And so what happens is, is a lot of times our gut reaction to something that we don't understand is we just want to pull back. And I just want you to try and lean in today to what God has for you. Um, Hopefully it'll make sense as we go through it. But in your first reading of this, you may be like, I want no part of that. But when it's done well... And when Paul's talking about how to live in the context of family the best way, when it's done well, looking back, you'll be able to say that really probably was the best way to do that, and you do understand it. And so Colossians chapter 3, Paul in verses 12 through 17, Pastor John talked about last week that we're going to put on some things, we're going to put off other things. And then he ends up in this verse 18, and it seems to appear out of nowhere, but really it's the practical implications of putting on and putting off of what that looks like in a family situation. And so these aren't just some random verses that are thrown in there. No, Paul actually has a lot to say about what family should look like, and he commands us to, to, to put this into a practice in our life. Let me read Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21 with you real quick, and then we'll jump into it. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, some of you may have read through those verses or listened as I was reading them and said, I should have stayed home today. I should have stayed in bed. And I want to share just a couple things to think through. Um, A question I've thought of before is, what do you do when the message doesn't seem to apply to you? What do you do when the message doesn't seem to apply to you? Maybe you're a single person here today, and you're like, I don't have a wife or a husband. I don't have a kids at home, how does this apply to me? Maybe your kids are out of the house, and you say, there's no way this applies to me. And so these are three things I thought of that were helpful, because all of Scripture is, is useful for teaching and helping us. But there are certainly times when it applies to us better than it does right now. 
That's why you can read a verse in your 20s and you can be like, that's cool. And then you read it again in your 30s and you can be like, oh man, should have listened to that in my 20s. Then you read it again in your 40s and you can cling to that verse because that's all you have to hold on to. You get to your 50s and you're telling everybody about the verse that you wish you would have listened to in your 20s, right? It applies to us at different times in different ways because our circumstances change. And so one of the great things you can do when, you, when it doesn't seem to apply to you, maybe you heard today as I read and you're like, this doesn't apply to me. I think you're going to see it applies to all of us. And I think one of the best things you can do is when it doesn't seem to apply to you, look at the broader context first off. What might God be trying to show you in the fact that he has a great plan for the family? It's the best plan. It was established before the fall. There was the idea of family was before sin, and sin corrupted the family and gave us all kinds of problems, but it was his plan from the get-go. And so one of the ways that you can look at this message is you can look at it in the broader context. All of my message points this morning will be looking at the broader context of how this plays out in our life. The next thing you can do is, American Christians, we love to make the Bible about us. And so we love to, to make it important to us, and we're like, man, I don't really get anything out of that. And it's not about you. It's about God and his love for you. And there are things that you certainly can apply. But one of the things you can do if it doesn't seem to apply to you today is you can pray for others. You can look to encourage them. Maybe you're an older couple who your kids are out of the house. Maybe you can try and find a younger couple to encourage them. Maybe you are a person who's been married for a long time and you have a lot of wisdom and experience. Maybe you could look to encourage somebody else. And so look to pray or encourage other people. And then lastly, number three, there's probably 10, but these are just the three I could think of. Allow the text to inform your future decisions. Maybe you're a single person, young person here today, and you're like, this doesn't seem very applicable. Um, there is a day that maybe you will get married. And so maybe this would be helpful for you to allow the text to help you inform your future decisions. Somewhere along the way, someone hijacked verse 18 that says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And somebody hijacked that verse to say, your wives have to listen to your husbands all the time and do whatever they say. That is not what the Apostle Paul meant here. That is not what he's saying. Matter of fact, I thought it might be helpful today to talk about what submission is not before we talk about what it is. And so here's three things that submission is not. If you're thinking through this, um, and if you aren't currently a wife, um, just hang with me for a minute, because I think you're going to see in a minute how we have to submit to, to a lot of people. What submission is not? First off, submission is not inferiority. It doesn't mean that as a wife that you're inferior to your husband. It does mean that God has a different role for you, does mean that he's designed you to be a co-heir with Christ. Paul says there's never, a, there's not a Greek nor a Gentile or a Jew or a male or a female. You're all one in Christ. So before Christ, positionally, we all stand on the same ground, guilty of our sin, but forgiven by God. However, positionally, as far as a role is defined, he has different ideas for us. Just the same as you look at the Trinity. The Trinity is uh, they're equal, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, but they submit to each other in different ways. They have different uh, roles, but they play out their relationship. It's the same thing that God has designed for the home. The second thing that submission is not is absolute. It's not absolute. If your husband is leading you to do something that's contrary to God's commands, you don't have to follow it. If he's leading you to something that's contrary to what God would want for you, you don't have to follow it. In a group this large, between both services, statistically, someone is being abused in this room. You do not have to follow that. 
That is not what God intended for your relationship to look like. And if you need help, we want to help you. The other thing it's not absolute is it's not for all men, right? You don't have to, uh, to listen and to submit to all men. It says, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husband. So you might indeed submit to Pastor John if he offers some spiritual advice in your life. But Pastor John's not coming home with you tonight to talk to you about how to raise the kids, right? So you, there's, a, there's a line there. What I want you to see today, though, is that, and here's the broader context is that everybody submits to somebody. Everybody submits to somebody. Wives, your particular role where you're at today is to submit to your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. And what Paul means by that is fitting is the Lord is out of reverence for Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, recognizing that he's over everything. Even though your husband might be an idiot at times, Jesus is still in control. And so you can have great confidence, not in your husband, you can have great confidence in Jesus that he's in control. But here's the thing. Everybody submits to somebody. Uh, submission, by definition, I love this. I think it was from Alistair Begg, said that submission is voluntarily yielding in love. It's not subservience, but voluntary subordination because of Jesus Christ. When we understand that Jesus Christ is over everything, it allows us to look beyond the ways in which we mess up, understanding that he's still in control. And the truth is, everybody submits to somebody. The word submit or to yield in the New Testament is used, the same Greek word is used like almost every time that this concept is mentioned. Here's a couple other times it was mentioned. When Jesus was with his parents, the Son of God, creator of the universe, submitted to his parents when he was 12 years old because that's what God had for him. It's the same word. When the demons submitted to the disciples, when they yielded to the disciples, because Jesus gave them power to, to cast out demons and to do it, it's that they submitted to the disciples. When we submit to the government of, that is above us, that's the same idea, that we're going to yield to them. And when all of creation one day will submit to Christ, it's the same thing. We're going to yield to Christ. He also uses submission in the idea of the church is that the, the church is mutually submitting to one another all of the time. So this idea is everybody submits to somebody. So at first glance, you read this and you thought, well, wives, I'm not a wife. I don't have to do this. No, we all have to submit to somebody. You submit to your boss or to your family or to your friends. And we see this throughout the New Testament. A couple of years ago, we were riding in the car and Reese asked the question, who owns the church? And I was like, that's a good question. What do you guys think? So one kid said, Pastor John owns the church. No, he doesn't own the church. Uh, one kid said, well, no, the elders own the church. No, they don't own the church. I said, well, I think Shelly said something like, Marcy and Abby run the church, but it was, who owns the church? It was, I said, well, really, the congregation appoints the elders, and they submit to them, and the elders are in charge of everything, but yet we submit mutually back and forth, and really, at the end of the day, Jesus owns the church, right? Jesus owns the church. It's his church. He appoints us to be a part of his church. We appoint people to help lead and guide us. We submit to one another. And so there's this idea that we're just all submitting to one another when it's going well. And so everybody submits to somebody. When Paul talks about this with the Ephesian church, he says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's the deal today is that you can try everything that I mentioned today, but apart from the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, it will be futile. 
You can try and love your wife all you need to or submit to your husband all you want to, but at the end of the day, that's hard enough on a good day, let alone when it's a bad day. You need Jesus Christ as a reminder. And what he says to the Ephesians is, is that we would submit to one another. Before he ever talks about marital roles, it's that everyone would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we hold Christ to be the one that we worship and we see the long game playing out, therefore we can submit to one another in the meantime. We can submit to one another in the meantime. Pilots have this figured out. If you're in a crew environment as a pilot, there's always what's called the pilot in command, usually in the left seat. And the pilot in command is responsible at the end of the day for making sure that plane gets from A to B. But there's usually a co-pilot, and there's oftentimes, they're called second in command, and that person might do most of the flying. They might have everything on the radio that they're dealing with. And that person even can ask the pilot, are you sure that's where we're supposed to be going? They can, they can have this conversation back and forth about, is this the best way moving ahead? And so just as a, as, as a crew environment of pilots figures this out, the, the family is designed the same way, where God holds the husband responsible for getting us from A to B where we're at. But as a wife, you're, you have every right to ask some questions in a loving way and to support your husband in a loving way. This isn't a dictatorship. It's a, it's a team that's hopefully mutually submitting to one another. Husbands, your goal should be to love your wife so well that it makes it easy for her to voluntarily yield in love. To voluntarily yield in love. Uh, verse 19 goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This was a radical command in the first century to love your wife. At that point, wives were property. And you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to do with your wife. If you wanted to get rid of her, you could get rid of her. If you wanted to treat her harshly, you could treat her harshly. And Jesus comes along and elevates the status of women and says, no, they're co-heirs with Christ, and they have a, an incredible amount of gifting to offer. And Paul is telling the married guy, the single guy is telling the married guys that they are to love their wives. The word love there is that agape love, that active love, that participatory love, that love that rescues and goes after the same that is used for Christ with us. Gentlemen, you're to love your wife when she's happy and when she's sad, when she loves herself and when she doesn't love herself, when she loves you and when she doesn't love you, when she's anxious, worried, happy, angry, every single time. Why? Because that's how Jesus loves you. Because even at your worst, he loves you. But here's the thing, if you think that's just for husbands, uh, I remind you of the words of Jesus. As I have loved you, love one another. So husbands, you, you're not the only ones getting beat up today. It's really all of us, and you could say it this way, we're all called to sacrificial love. Whether your positional role is a husband or a wife or a single person or a married or a divorced or a widowed, whatever your position is, we are all called to sacrificial love. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. Our culture loves the image of fighting for love. If you don't believe me, every 80s and 90s love song was something about fighting for love. It was all about fighting for love. I don't know why they were so mad and angry, but there was a lot of fighting going on. And I think that one of the pictures that has helped me as I've been learning more about this in my own relationship is you may have to come to the place in your life where you have to fight for your relationship. Although I think the better position for husbands to take, and really all of us to take, is that we would take the position of a gardener or a farmer as opposed to a fighter. 
my neighbor is an incredible gardener, and I asked him this year, I said, Henry, what is the secret that you have no weeds in your garden? I was like, did you use the sprinkle stuff? Did you spray it all? And he just kind of laughed, and he said, I get down on my hands and my knees, and I pick every one of those blasted weeds out. Husbands, your role is not so much to fight for your relationship. It's to cultivate a, an environment that allows your wife to grow, that allows your kids to grow. And sometimes you've got to get down on your hands and knees and pull every single weed out and plant hedges of protection around your family. And husbands, a lot of times we're like, I didn't put the weeds there. Why do I have to pull them, right? It doesn't matter who put the weeds there in your relationship. Get down on your hands and knees and dig through the problems that you have so that you can love your wife well. Paul could have shared anything. He could have said, husbands, love your wives and take her on a date once a month. He didn't say that. He could have said, husbands, love your wife and be really patient with them. No, he goes after what is probably uh, common to most men. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And do not be harsh. Being harsh could be anything that degrades, humiliates, or goes against her conscience. could be something that's harsh. It could be words. It could be actions. It could be anything that goes against her. And so when husbands, when we look to love our wives well, we'd be better off to take the position of a gardener or a farmer as opposed to a fighter. When we start to fight, we get harsh. When we start to garden, we have to drop low and be humble. And I think that's probably, uh, probably the place to start for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul goes on to say that actually husbands and wives should not only respect each other, not only love each other, not only honor one another and submit to one another, but he says that they should look for opportunities to please each other. Now, this is crazy, and it works except for one situation, and that is when we go to dinner in my family, I'm trying to please Shelly, and Shelly's trying to please me. And I want to pick some place that she's happy, and she wants to pick some place that I'm happy. And so we end up somewhere on the east side of Indianapolis, not eating. We just kept driving because we can't make a decision. So at some point in your relationship, somebody's got to make a decision, okay? So we should be the type of people that should look to please one another, absolutely. Now, this goes beyond marriage. That should be the way in which we sacrificially love everybody, that we should be looking out for their best interest. Verse 20 goes on to say, children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Just as everybody submits to somebody, and we're all called to sacrificial love, children, obey your parents. And here's the thing. Everybody has to obey somebody. I strongly disagree with the speed limit on Mackey Road and rarely follow it. And one day, I'm going to get pulled over. And when I am, I will be guilty. Whether my opinion of it is that it's right or wrong or not, it is the law, and I will get a ticket. Children, if you were to obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Everything? Yeah, everything. Just the same as wives, though. If it's against God's command, then you get a free pass. That's not going to happen very often, if ever, in your lifetime, if your parents are coming here and trying to follow Jesus. But it's what pleases the Lord. In the Ten Commandments, it was the first commandment with a promise that if you obeyed your parents, it would go well with you in life. Now, what do you do if you're a college student? Because I know we have a lot of college students here, and you're like, but I'm out of the house, but I'm in the house, and how does that work? 
they're paying for school, but yet I kind of live here. Here's what I would offer as a suggestion. Should I really obey my parents even when I'm in college? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think, though, that if you're a parent of a young adult, I think that you've got to start to let go. And so I don't know what that looks like in your relationship with your kids, but I would say you need these four things when you navigate that. Love and respect for one another. If you led them well throughout their growing up, they're going to respect you. and They're going to love you. It may take time, but they'll get there eventually. But the other two things I think you need for both parties is grace and space. So love and respect, and then grace and space. And here's what I mean by that. Love and respect, you got that, right? You can figure that one out. Grace in that for nine months of the year, they did whatever they wanted, and you didn't know. And then for the two and a half months they're home, you expect that you're going to write all of that, whatever that was over the past nine months. So there's got to be some grace there right? But there's also got to be, because I'm, what I'm told, once again, my parents said that parenting adult children is one of the most difficult things to do, not in the fact that they're lording it over me, but that they want to help, right? And finding that space and that grace to offer constructive criticism or incredible encouragement is a balancing act that I'm not quite prepared to make today. But I know some of you are in the midst of it. And so I think you need to offer grace to one another, both the parents and the kids, and also space to allow that conversation to happen in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So as you look to have that conversation, what pleases the Lord should be a great question to think through. After all, everybody has to obey somebody, and all of us have to obey somebody. Uh, The other question I got all the time for kids, if you're in the room, Uh, I used to be asked all the time, what's God's will for my life right now? It's a big question that young people love to ask. What's God's will for my life? His will for you today is to obey your parents. Now, you might be the CEO of a multinational corporation in 10 years, but for today, his will is for you to obey your parents because everybody has to obey somebody. Next, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This could be fathers. It also, if you're a single parent, it could be you. It could be if you're a grandparent raising kids, you could do it as well. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This one's tough for dads, especially. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. To embitter them is to stir them up or to provoke them, to irritate them, or to discourage them. Here's why I think this is so difficult for guys. At work, gentlemen, You're respected because of your title, your achievements, your accomplishments, and the fact that you got your work done. At home, no one cares about that. And so while at work, you're respected and it's given to you, at home you have to earn it by loving your wife well and loving your kids. And what often happens for us guys is is we leave a place of respect And we come home, and in that short car ride, a transformation has to happen where we have to remind ourselves that we are to love in a self-sacrificial way our families. But that's a tough transition for guys to make because we had all the respect in the world, and now sometimes, unfortunately, we don't get the respect that maybe we think we deserve. Can I submit to you, gentlemen, that maybe the best thing you could do is to pray on your way home, that God would help you lead your family the way that you want, and that when someone doesn't respect you at home, don't take it personally. They're kids. They're kids. 
I think there's a discipline is where this often occurs, where we maybe go too far with our discipline, where maybe we spend too much time on a certain thing. But I think there's some other areas where this plays out. One of them is favoritism. One of the great dangers for kids today is that they think that what they do is more important than who they are. So because I play basketball, that's why I'm important. No, they need to understand that they are loved and cared for no matter how well they put a ball through a basket or how well they don't put a ball through a basket, how well they do on a test or how well they don't do on a test. And fathers, sometimes because they play the sport that we love or they do the activity that we love, we kind of navigate towards them and, and in some ways show some favoritism that might discourage the other kids or might even discourage them. So I think we have to be really careful there. I think we have to be careful with our discipline, that we make sure we do that out of, out of love. One of the great pieces of advice Rick Baker, one of our elders, told me when I was having young kids, he said, before you go to discipline your kid, grab them by the hand and walk them around the house. And I thought, Rick, this is really strange, but I'll try it. And he's like, you'd be surprised at what happens, how it reminds you that they're little and you're big, and to calm you down for a minute before you go provoking them or discouraging them. Uh, neglect, it happens sometimes when all of us get busy to where the things that we love to do become more important than our kids, and they see that. It could be uh, when we condemn them, but we never offer encouragement. So the advice I would give, and I'm trying to work on, is I would encourage you to call out the bad and call up the good. Call out the bad and call up the good. So we're really good to see the bad. We've got to work on calling up the good and so that our kids don't leave to completely discouraged. I'm not saying there shouldn't be discipline. I'm not saying there shouldn't even be a high bar, but we've got to help them as we navigate through what this looks like. And then lastly, this will destroy your marriage. It will also destroy your relationship with your kids, is unrealistic expectations. They're kids. And you can have that high bar, but at the end of the day, they're kids. They have the attention span of a gnat, right? They, they, they're kids. And so don't expect them to act like full-fledged responsible adults because they're kids. Help them see what that looks like. Help them figure out what that looks like in their life. So what do we do with all this? If everybody submits to somebody and we're all called to sacrificial love and everybody has to obey every, somebody, then what do we do with all this? Well, I, I've been reading some about how to, to make this apply in a better way or what would be helpful for this. And those of you who know me think you're going to think I've lost my mind, but I've been reading about the science of hugging. And <laughs> I don't mind hugging my wife or my kids, but much past that, I have personal space issues. And I'm working on it, but I appreciate your patience. But I was reading about the science of hugging. And whether you're in a married relationship or not, or kids or not, or whatever, when we hug someone, there's a positive interaction in our brain that happens. And there's a bunch of words I didn't understand, but it was all good stuff. It's always associated with good stuff. When your team wins, you hug somebody. When somebody is grieving, you hug them to comfort them. And so your brain always recognizes a hug as a positive thing, with the exception of me. I don't always. But most people do that. Here's what I want you to do. If you're a kid or you're at home with your wife or, or husband or maybe you don't have kids at home, I want you to, the next time you get frustrated with somebody, I want you to hug them. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but your brain doesn't know what to do with that. 
Your brain doesn't know what to do with the fact that you're angry inside, but yet you're hugging at the same time, and it throws your brain into a conflict where you have to physically choose what you're going to do. Sometimes we fly off the handle at the people that we love the most because we don't choose what we're doing. It's just a reaction. So I think one of the things I would encourage you to do, if you find yourself super frustrated, if you're a kid at home right now and you're super frustrated at your mom right now, walk up and give her a hug the next time she frustrates you, and then talk about it. Because that's what we want you to get to the place to be able to do. If you're a husband that's really frustrated with your wife, go hug her, and you'd be amazed at what happens. So I was reading about this, and the optimal time for a hug is 20 seconds, which is crazy long. Um, I tried it this week with Shelly, and I grabbed a hold of her, and I was like, one, two. And I was, she was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just seeing if this works. <laughs> and it does. And it does. So you may think, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, go try it, and let me know how you get through that. Because when it throws your brain into a conflict where you have to consciously choose, am I going to be angry or am I going to love this person? My hope is you'll be reminded that everyone is called to sacrificial love. It forces you to make the decision as opposed to making the reaction. So, husbands, I want you to hug your wife for 20 seconds every day for the next month. Now, it is a long time to hug that. And if it ends up somewhere else, you're welcome. But for right now, I just want you... <laughs> I just want you to hug them, okay? The other thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for your spouse for the next 30 days. Um, Shelly and I had a, a week and a half, basically. Uh, our kids were at camp about a week, week and a half ago. And if you've ever been alone as a parent of kids, that first day you're not real sure what to do because it's quiet and you, you haven't seen each other in a while and you're like, this is fun. And then day two is fun. Day three is fun. Day four, someone's mad at each other. And that's where we were. Shelly and I were mad at each other. We had a disagreement. And... I was super frustrated because she wasn't seeing it my way, the right way, and she, she wasn't seeing it the right way. And so we had this discussion on our way to pick up our kids from camp. And the whole way, she wasn't seeing it my way, and I wasn't seeing it her way. And I was like, this is a losing battle. This ain't going to happen. And I had the thought, what if I prayed for Shelly? So I spent two days praying for Shelly that she would see the right way. And you know what happened? You know what changed? I changed. I changed. I think that one of the best things you could do, husbands and spouse or wives, is that you'd pray for each other. So here's what we're going to do. For the next 31 days, we'll have this. If you scan this QR code, you can sign up for a text that will send you a prepackaged prayer for your spouse. Now, you can certainly pray more than that, but it's a great start. It's for husbands, for wives, wives, for husbands. Now, you might be in here and you're like, I'm a single person. I don't have anybody to pray for me. Um, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Pray for a couple near you. And then ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray for you. There's no reason that this, the single guy is writing to the married people to tell them how to live. In the economy of God's family, you all matter. Whether you're a single, married, divorced, widowed, wherever. And so when we start to see that, that marriage isn't the end-all, be-all for everything, that really we're called to live in community and that we help each other out, when we start to grasp that and understand that, I think that might be the missing piece for some of us why we, why we struggle. That God put us in a community for a reason and that he put us together so that we could help each other. If you, if you are single, I'd encourage you to reach out to somebody and say, I'm going to pray for you. Would you please pray for me? 
And I think that God might do something really cool in your life as well. So we're going to hug the people that we're mad at. Husbands and wives, you're going to hug each other. You're going to pray for one another. And I, I'm excited to see what God might do. Because I went into praying for Shelly that she would see the right way. And he changed me. And maybe we've been going around this whole thing about relationships the wrong way. Maybe you had the wrong idea of what submission was or the wrong idea of what loving was, and we've been trying to do it all on our own. And while I think that you can certainly love your wife apart from Jesus, that you have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian, if you hold Christ as reverent, if you hold him as the most preeminent, then we've been missing out on our relationships because we've been trying to do it on our own. And I think that is the case for every relationship, not just marriage. Let me pray for you as we wrap up our time today. God, thank you for the opportunity to be reminded today of your love for us. Thank you, God, that uh, you've called us to submit to one another out of reverence for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you've called us all to sacrificial love, and we don't have to wonder what that looks like, that your son, Jesus, laid that out for us in a perfect example. And God, thank you also that you've called us to obey, first and foremost, you, but also the people around us. And so, God, I have to believe that Paul knew what he was doing when he told us to put off some things, to put on other things, so that we would be able to play our part well in the context of family which in which so much of us live. God, I pray for every person in here who's single, divorced, or widowed, that you would help them to see that they matter, that there's a community of people around them that care for them, I pray for every child that's in this room that whether they know it or not, their parents love you and they love and you love them and that they're called to obey. And God, I do pray for every marriage in this room today that God, that we would be able to submit and love one another well. But most often, God, I pray that in this next year that there would be no divorce here, no divorce in Danville for your glory and our good. God, I pray for the people who are in this room that this would transform their lives, that seeking your help daily in regards to their relationship would be the pattern of their life. And God, that we might be able to move forward and give you great glory for what you're gonna do in the next 30 days. Not because we're great, not because simply we prayed, but because you're so good to us. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus Christ is over everything, even our families. And God, I pray that we would take advantage of his power and his available spirit in our lives today. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.